Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building, which is actually hashtag Divine Color Wall. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. Good evening, good evening. How y'all doing? This is uh, Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel Divine. Texas. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3 verses 14. Uh, we'll finish up the chapter through verses 32 and we're actually going to uh, kind of move through some verses here pretty quickly uh, as we do that. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Father God, we do thank you so much for today. We do pray and just ask Lord for you uh, to uh allow us to hear your word in a way that we can live it and apply it in our lives. Uh, We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And Divine, we do pray for this building. We pray for Marcus and his family. Uh, We pray for uh, just the the city of Divine, uh, the marial race, and and just uh, all the voting stuff that's going to be happening over the next a uh, few few weeks or so, we just pray for peace and unity within that. Uh, and and uh, at the end of the day, we just pray uh, not for a divided divine, but to see uh, divine be uh, united. Um, and so we just pray for that. We, we just ask, Lord, and we know the only way that can happen is by you. So uh, we pray for that. And we thank you so much for this city. We pray for uh, the people that are here, we ask, Lord, that you just continue to move uh, in their hearts and, and draw them back to church. Uh, we thank you and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we left off as, uh, like I said, we were in Nehemiah uh, chapter 3, verses uh, 14. I think we left off. There were some. I wanted to go back and look at something in 14 because there was something there that I needed to go a little bit more in depth and I was uh, pressed for time last week. So we're going to go ahead and get into it this week. Uh, but I entitled this, my title for the, tonight is uh, Revive, Rise, Repair, Rebuild, Part 2. And the reason why I say the title is because my pastor uh, used to always tell us is you, you're not going to be teaching if you don't have a title. And so you need to make sure you have a title. Um, That's part of working out an outline for sure. Uh, So this week, we're actually going to be picking it up in verse 14. Uh, One of the things that we left off is we saw uh, the wall being built. And the importance of that is is that there were construction workers. No, Uh, there were priests, there were Levites, there were temple servants, there were rulers, there were common people. There were people that came in from far away. Uh, from faraway cities to come in and help. Um, and they, they're mentioned in verse uh, verse 7. We had gatekeepers that were mentioned in verse 29. We had guards and farmers. We even had some goldsmith and perfumers that we talked about in verse 8 last week. Uh, we had merchants and, and women and daughters in verse 12. And then we also had bachelors, single 
a single men are, are bachelors working in, in verse 23. So we see a little bit of all of this, a very diverse group of people. And that's really uh, the basis of the church. Um, we are a um, diverse group of people. We're an imperfect people uh, in an imperfect church. The only thing that's perfect is Jesus Christ. And um, and so when we come into a church, we, you know, if you're seeking perfection, you you won't find it. Uh, just so you know, uh, we we are. Um, it's one of the areas that I love is to see just how God uses the foolish things of this world, including myself. Uh, and and you know that's the amazing part because we see just God getting the glory. And so just like we see, there's no construction workers. We see God getting the glory. The work that's going to be built, the the walls that are going to be built. It's just amazing. Uh, to see this group of people come together and 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 do the work for the city. And it's just a reminder for us as well, is that each of us have our own part, uh, and, and especially for, uh, for the city of Divine as well. You know, it's a, a reminder to us that, um, you know, that there's areas that we can serve in our community, in our churches. Uh, there's always a need. So, you know, be, be in prayer for where you can get involved uh, in your church and in your community, that's something that we uh, definitely need. And you may think, well, where, how can I do that? Maybe, maybe help out at the uh, at the food pantry, or help out, uh, you know, doing uh, you know some some volunteer work for the city, because uh, I'm sure there's always some stuff that we can get involved in and get done, and and definitely something that's needed. I always say this, you know, as far as uh, the greatest ability that we have for the kingdom of God is our availability and dependability. So really what the Lord needs is you just to be available and dependable, and he'll help you with the, uh, the, the construction work, so to say, that like they did. Like none of them were, were wall builders. I've never taught before. And you're probably going, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but it, it's just being available, being dependable. And then God, God uses that. And, and God gets the glory. God gets the glory. That's one thing that we need to remember. So as we pick it up in verse 14, uh, we, we're going to see uh, the, 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 the doors and the bolts and the bars being put on uh, the dung gate. And we're going to talk about the dung gate a little bit. I think we needed to go just a little bit further into that, and we'll do that. Uh, but here we go, and I'm going to try to get these, these names right as best I can. So in verse 14 of Nehemiah chapter 3, it says, Malkiah, the son of Rehob, uh, ruler of the district of Behekahim, uh, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors and its bolts and its bars. Now, one of the things that we need to remember is that as we look at the, the, the dung gate, the dung gate is actually uh, located in the, villa, uh, the valley of Hinnom. Um, where the, the, they, they actually disposed of all the trash there. Um, and I want you to think about this just for a second. Like in, in the city of San Antonio, I don't know if you've ever been around Lackland, they have this huge hill on the other side, the back side of Lackland, um, over there by Southwest High School. And, and you think, man, there's a little, a little mountain over there. Well, that's not a mountain, that's trash. See, we bury our trash, right? Uh, we pack it and bury it. And then I remember going there in the 90s and that thing being a lot smaller. Uh, but back in, in the time of Nehemiah, they burned the trash. And so they would burn uh, the trash in, in, in the Valley of Hinnom where the dung gate is. And y'all know what dung is. It's, 
uh, it's like stepping in a cow patty, you know, that's, that's dung. And so basically any trash from the city would be thrown out and then they would burn it. And so you have to understand with the size of the city, the fire was consistently going all the time. It was going all the time. And the other part of this is, for instance, like the, the two thieves that were on the cross with Jesus, um, like they were uh, crucified, but their bodies would have been thrown in the dung at the waste at the Valley of Hinnom. They would have been burned up. You see what I'm saying? And so it's, and, and, and Jesus kind of gives this as a picture of hell. As he goes by, he uses the Greek word Gehenna, Gehenna, which refers, refers to the Valley of Hittim. And let's look at that. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 22. It says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, the hell of fire of Gehenna. And so that the hell of fire of Gehenna, that word that he uses, is, is actually in the strong concordance. It means the valley of Hinnom. It's, it, it deals with the dung gate, the waste, the, the, the things that were burning up. And that fire was 24-7. It was constantly burning constantly burning and you got and, and and the reference of that is that's what hell is going to be like it, it is a, a burning lake of fire um and, and so remember lazarus and 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 when when um the young man uh, that was killed he had the 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 person that had leprosy outside of his door and and he would say, you know, please tell Lazarus to go dip his, 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 his finger or, or dip to, to give me, just quench my lips because they're, you know, uh, and, and, and realistically what they're talking about is hell is not a place like we see portrayed um, by, by our world. Our secular world makes it seem like hell is going to be a place to party. Uh, a place where anything goes and and Jesus is saying no that's not it hell of fire now now why do we have hell it, it wasn't created for you it was created for the devil and its demons but because of sin where do we go if we choose not to follow Jesus Christ here remember we talked about repentance this past week in the book of Mark you know, that's the, that's the thing that Paul, Peter, John, the Baptist, and even Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. We have to confess our sins. We have to ask Jesus into our heart to be Lord of our life. We have to believe that Jesus died uh, for our sins and was uh, crucified and rose from the dead and, and um, it was resurrected. And, and then we, when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that's an important thing for us to remember is like the lake of fire is real. I saw a video a friend of mine posted a couple of days ago, and I'm sure you've seen it circulated. It's been around uh, for a little bit. And he talks about, you know, why does God allow people to go to hell? And it's like God doesn't make people go to hell. It's like you're on a ship that's sinking, 
and Jesus Christ is the lifeboat. And you can get into the lifeboat, right? But you have to leave the ship. You have to actually give your life to Christ. You have to confess your sins and, and ask Jesus into your heart, and there's a way out. If not, lake of fire. It is the hell of fire, as Jesus said. And Jesus spoke about hell. Jesus did speak about hell. And so we need to remember that. And then we see in verse 15, it says, And Shalom, uh, the son of Kokoze, uh, ruler of Mizpah, uh, repaired the fountain gate. And he rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors and its bolts and bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shoyalek, uh, or Shoyalek, uh, the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And so we see here in, in, in verse 15, uh, we, we talked about this a little bit last week as well, the, uh, the fountain gate. And, and as we talk about the fountain gate, uh, one of the things that he is talking about is, is the, uh, the fountain gate was actually uh, near the pool of Siloam, uh, which was built actually, and this is really cool because this, this deals with why we study the Bible. Uh, we're dealing with real people, real places, real events that really happened and not just one event we see multiple events throughout the bible of the pool of uh of, of siloam uh, king Eze king Ezekiah actually built it right it's actually covered in second kings chapter 2020 and it was built actually in in the eighth century bc and one of the things that that i love about it is it, it provided water for jerusalem even if the city was under besiege they could lock the the gates and the walls and protect the city and the people would have water uh, and they would have water to uh to handle the needs of the city now the the crazy part about this is they actually cut two thousand feet of solid rock and, and we can see that I, I've seen. I mean, I've actually been on H two, which is in Hawaii. You have two two highways on on the island of Oahu, H one H two, and and I can't remember which one goes up the Leaky Leaky. I think it's H two, and and it goes through the the Leaky Leaky Tunnel, and and they they cut through the mountain, solid rock, cut through it. And it's a huge tunnel. It's it's beautiful because when you come out the other side, all you see is, is the Pacific Ocean. It's unbelievable. But I think about that and the technology that we had to do that today. And I think, how in the world did they cut 2,000 feet of solid rock during King Hezekiah? It's amazing that they got that done. But they actually cut into the Gehon Spring. And that spring was actually called the Virgin Spring. The Virgin Spring. And so that produced water uh, for the location. And, and actually, it was located on the east side of Jerusalem, outside the wall, on a slope on the, uh, leading down the Kidron Valley. And so Hezekiah's tunnel channeled water from Gahan to the pool located on the southeast part of uh, the city. And so the pool of Silo M was actually 53 feet long. This is not a little pool, right? 18 feet wide, and this is the amazing part. It was 19 feet deep. 19 feet deep. It was, you know, for the work that was done was amazing at the time. Uh, but this pool of Siloam has a significance for us 
because we see that it actually was during the Feast of the Tabernacles, every morning they would actually, uh, there would be uh, during the joyful feast, the priest would actually take the golden vessel. And I'm getting to somewhere here, I promise. Uh, and, 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 and the pool of Siloam, and they would fill it with water from the pool and bring it back to the altar. And, and the people would chant and cry out, Hallelujah. And, and they would just cry out that as the priest is doing it because the priest is pouring out the water on the west side of the altar. And another priest would pour out a drink offering, a wine offering on the east side of the altar. So all of this was part of the, uh, part of the offering that was done. And, and in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you'll draw waters from the wells of salvation. But here's the kicker. On the eighth day of that feast, right, they don't repeat this ritual. They, they don't do it. But that's when Jesus said, in, in the exact perfect timing that Jesus is, being uh, a man without sin, uh, he comes up and he says, you know, um, I'm going to make a, an announcement. And he, in John chapter 7, verses 37, he says, On the last day of the feast, uh, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's what happens to us when we give our lives to Christ we have the Holy Spirit that resides in us. And that's what's supposed to be happening in our life. These living waters, uh, the living water, the Holy Spirit, the living water, uh, drawing people uh, to Christ that are thirsty. And, and let me tell you, there are a lot of things that will not quench your thirst of this world. You know, whether it's alcohol or pornography or gaming or whatever it is, you think those things will quench it. It could be a relationship. It could be money. It could be title and position. And, and you're still thirsty, right? You're still thirsty. And that, that, that feast on that day, when no water was poured, Jesus stands up and, and, and fills the gap. He's the water. And, and then, then we see in verse 39, that's when he talks about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in John 7, verse 39. Now this, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had, was not yet glorified. He was the offering of water, right? Jesus identified himself, the rock and the wilderness that gave water. Remember when Moses got upset and he struck the rock and, and gave them water uh, in the desert. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, And all, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was, was Christ. And we also see the pool of Siloam, the, the fountain gate. We see this when Jesus heals the, the man that was born blind. And he tells them, uh, indeed, he is the light of the world in John chapter 9, verses 5 and through 7. It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed uh, the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is amazing because this is the same fountain gate where the pool is, right? Where the pool is, and yet 
we see Nehemiah, right? And then the impact years later with Jesus uh, at the same pool. And, and so it's important for us. We're dealing with real places, real people, real during real time. Uh, you know, King Hezekiah and, you know, we see Nehemiah here and the, the work that's being done on the fountain gate. And then eventually Jesus healing the man born blind. And where does he tell him to go? Uh, go wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. Is that pool still there? Yeah, it's been excavated. And then the pool's still there. It's 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 a real place. And and so you know the pool of Siloam was a place that was used by the kings, priests, and even the Messiah himself. And the one that sent by God, our Savior, used the pool of uh, the pool of scent to prove that he was the light of the world. An offering, a living water, right? Available for only through Him, the invitation to drink. Still open. In Revelation 22, verses 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let uh, one who hears say, Come, and let one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. It's important for us to, to have those living waters pouring out of us, attracting people to Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's that's what that happens when we're connected with uh, the Holy Spirit, when we're connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're producing fruit, and people are wanting to know why are you the way you are? Why is your marriage different than my marriage? Why is your kids? I, I I've never seen a child act that way before. You know, it's because of Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is residing in them, and they're. Uh, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, you know, as far as uh, even for us in our marriage, where we want to be a, a godly husband and a godly wife, and we want that to bring glory to God. Same with our kids. And that's really, at the end of the day, that's what's wrong with our country right now, is we've neglected that part of our, our what we're supposed to be doing. We're called to be uh, parents first, you know, uh, in the home and, and to, 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 um, nurture the marriage, our relationship with each other, and all in the Lord, right? We're all supposed to do that in Jesus Christ. And so we can do that, but we need to stop trying to find thirst from the things of this world and look to the one that will will never go thirsty again, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 16 of Nehemiah, it says, And after him, Nehemiah the son, as Buk, uh, ruler of uh, the half district of Bathzur uh, repaired the point of opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. And we see, you know, the mighty men that were there. And, and it's crazy because yet there was no wall that had been put up yet, right? And we had mighty men there, but they, they still need the wall to help defend the city. Right. So, you know, some would say the best defense is a good offense. But when we look at our lives as a Christian, we need both defense and offense. Right. We can't we can't have one without the other. And so we need those walls to be put up and, and repair the walls that need to be repaired uh, in our lives. If there is a relationship that's ended uh, badly, like we've gotten into an argument with somebody, we need to we need to repair that. And we need to ask for forgiveness and, and, um, and, and try to repair that relationship. 
and rebuild that wall. If we, uh, you know, have have fallen from uh, faith, we we just need to repent, and and God will help you uh, build that wall back up and 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 strengthen you. Uh, we need to remember, like, uh, there's no offense, there's no defense. We need both. You need both offense and defense, right? You know, to be a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, we need uh, to make Christ the priority in our life and, and to be focused on the things of this world. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 27, it says, Do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete ex exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive the perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So we're saying when we get to heaven, the things that we do, we're going to receive the imperishable wreath that our, our works will be judged. Right? So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control less after preaching to others I might uh, I myself should be disqualified. So we're seeking that imperishable crown and god rewards and that that crown it does not fade it does not rush or perish and we can you know we're going to have our our works you know we're saved by grace through faith uh, but god has also uh, wants to use you for the kingdom of god and so you're prepared for good works and those things that you do uh will all be at the bema seat of judgment right that's where believers, those who have chosen to follow Christ, your works will be judged and you'll receive an imperishable reward, hopefully. If you try to take all the glory here on earth, you're not getting that. But, you know, we need to remember that we need to be careful in, in both directions. We need to be running the race and, and, and doing, uh, you know, I think exercise and self-control in all things. That's a really tough one. Uh, but we need to be doing that. Uh, we need to run to win. And so it's it's useful uh, usefulness grows as I as I learn to cultivate self control. You know when I when I learn to cultivate self control, it helps my walls get stronger. You know, so for instance, I I have no um, power over pornography, right? I don't have power over pornography, but Christ does, and that's who I depend on. If I try to depend on myself, I'll fall every time. So I need to depend on Him and not myself and and so i one of my one of the things that i i cultivate is my relationship with god i believe that my relationship the stronger my relationship is with the lord um you know it, it helps me when those temptations come because i now i know scripture then i know i can you know call call a friend have them pray for me uh, i can go meet somebody for coffee or something and 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 just spend that time uh, maybe just talking about what's going on and 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 being encouraged by the word or having having us do a small devo or something you know any of those things uh, helps build a strong defense and so that's what we need we need both an offense and a defense because the enemy we're going to find out next week the enemy comes in all directions uh, verse 17 says and after him the levites repaired in Rechum, uh the son of bani uh, next to him, Heshuyab, a ruler of half uh, the district of Kaiyah, repaired for his district. So now we see the Levites working. So you see the body of Christ, right? The, the Levites, the priests that were working. And so one of the things we have to ask ourselves, because you think, well, I'm not even serving in the church. But 
are you helping in your community? Are you helping in your church? Because that's one of the areas how we really grow is by serving in, uh, in the church. It helps us grow. It helps us learn that the church is full of imperfect people and, and, uh, and we have to learn grace and love sometimes. And, uh, but we, we need to be involved in our church and in our community. So that's an important thing. Verse 18 says, And after him the brothers repaired uh, Bava and the son of Hinadad, ruler of the half-district of Kilah, next to Ezer and the son of Jeshua, a ruler of Mespah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the army and the buttress. And then we see in verse 20, After him Baruch, uh, the son of Zebah, uh, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of El-Yashib, the high priest. And so we, t- we see two individuals, both of them taking on more work. So they did the work, but now they're saying, okay, what else can we do? And I- I've been in a situation like that where I've seen that happen. We, we were uh, rebuilding our, um, our, our, not really the stage, but decorating the stage, uh, decorating the, repainting the uh, part of the church and, uh, we had young adults that um, some youth and young adults, and they were so energetic. They had such a fervor and a fire in them, and were ready to put in the sweat equity to do the work. And they had so many ideas. It would have been easy for us to say and shut down every idea, uh, but one of the things that I loved is like we allowed them to uh, to to just with that joy that they had as they were doing the work to. Uh, to, to run with those ideas. And uh, they were being led by the Holy Spirit, you could tell. And, and so one of the things that was really cool is to be able to be a part of that because it creates a, a, a fervor um, in each of us, you know, that fire that, that just you just want to do more. And I remember we were there more than multiple days working on it, painting and hanging stuff up, and it just came out. It was amazing the work that God did. That was all the Lord. It was unity working together. And one of my favorite verses whenever I think about that is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, uh, And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's what those kids were doing that day. It was amazing. Amazing to be a part of it. Ecclesiastics uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 10 says, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. Right? Do it with your might. And so uh, we need to be doing the work that God has called us to do. And also 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. Let's go ahead and jump down to verse 26. We're going to jump down to verse 26 because that's our next little part that we need to pay. Uh, take a look at here because it's important. And verse 26 in Nehemiah chapter 3, it says, And the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and projecting tower. A couple of things here. Uh, the water gate. Um, the water gate is actually going to be where the word of God is proclaimed in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. Uh, when we see really the first resemblance of church, Nehemiah is going to step up onto a, a, almost a pulpit and share the Word of God with the people. Uh, it's, it's an amazing chapter, too. I love it. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So we see the water gate, the word of God is going to be proclaimed. The living water, the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the things I always think of when I read this is, is the woman in the well. Uh, you know, when we see the woman in the well, Jesus is trying to share uh, with her the word and, and the gospel. And, and uh, that's a great, great chapter in chapter 4, verses 10. It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is it that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw to water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us the well and drank from it, uh, as did his sons and his livestock. And so he's trying to, she's trying to bring in their religious, because remember they were Samaritans. They had their own temple that they did worship on and stuff. It was, they had, it was wrong. And so he's, when, when she brings that up, are you greater than our father Jacob? She's kind of saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, uh, the well that you're drinking from is, is, is that greater than our father, the water that you're going to get greater than our father Jacob. And Jesus said to her in verse 13 and said um, to everyone, uh, to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's, a, that's what we talk about with the world. You'll be thirsty again. In verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him uh, will become uh, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or, or, have, not, or have to come here to draw water again. Now she's still thinking about it as physical water. And Jesus is talking about the living water, the water that is welling up a spring up to eternal life. And so we see uh, water being used and the water gate being used to proclaim the Word of God. And, and through the Holy Spirit, the, you know, we can live the Word of God. And uh, we need the living water in our life, uh, that's for sure. Verse 27, it says, And after him the, uh, the Tekuites, or, or Tekuis, uh, that's such a weird word. If you look at it, it would never pronounce it the way that it looks. But after him the Tekuites, uh, Tekoes repaired another section opposite of the great uh, projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel above the horse gate. Now, the priests repaired each one opposed to his own house. Now, the Tekoes, we need to remember, they remember they had some nobles that were stiff-necked, so not all of the Tekoes were lazy uh, or felt like they couldn't do the work because it was above, above them, you know, like I, I don't build walls. Uh, but some of the Tekoes actually took on more work. So they finished what they were uh, set out to do, and now they're going to take on more. Uh, and then we talk about the horse gate. What was the horse gate for? It was for horses. <laughs> it was probably the easiest way that, that we, we see it. It was actually for horses. Um, and, and so when we look at the horse gate, I think one of the things that we, we always think about is, and I know for me is in revelation, um, you know, I always think about in the return of Christ and, and, um, and, and I just think about that as far as, you know, uh, him returning on it. And it says it, uh, in revelation 19, uh, 19, um, it says that, um, 
Let me pull that up here because I want to make sure I read that to y'all. It's the rider on a white horse. So we see, and then I saw heaven open up and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Does that sound like the Lamb of God? His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many, uh, many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heavens arrayed in the fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress a fury and wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. His name has, uh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds and fly directly overhead and come to gather for their, their great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses and the riders, and the flesh of all the men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, uh, the king of the earth, with the armies gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And so uh, we see when Jesus returns, it's going to be on, you know, it's not going to be this Lamb of God. It's, he's coming back as the lion of Judah, the king of kings. And, you know, when I think of the horse gate, I always think of that. So that's just something for us to, to, to kind of think about a little bit. You know, if you haven't chosen to follow Christ, what's what's the end result? The lake of fire. You know, that's, you know, it's, it's you know, that, that constant burning in the lake of fire. And so... Just something to think about as you read about the horse gate, there is going to be an end to all of this as far as the, you know, everybody says that there's an expiration date on the earth. There is because Jesus is returning and he will judge. And all this stuff that you try to make yourself quench your thirst with, your cars and your your homes and, and you know, all the 70-inch TVs and all the stuff that you think is going to make you happy that you think will quench your thirst will all be burned up. That's why we're supposed to have a light touch on the things of this world. It's just something for us to think about. In verse 29, it says, And after Zaduk, the, the son of uh, Emery, uh, repaired uh, the opposite house, after him, uh, Shamayah, uh, the son of Shekinah, uh, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. And so now we see this east gate. And this east gate is very important because this east gate is where Jesus will enter in his second coming. And, and it's funny because the Turks try to seal this gate up. They actually not only sealed the gate up, but they put a graveyard in front of it. They put... They buried people in front of it because Jews would have nothing to do with the bodies. They would have nothing to do with a cemetery. And so the Turks did that on purpose, thinking, no, that'll, that'll keep the Jews out. That'll keep Jesus from returning, right? That That's not true. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to return through that gate. In Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 1 through 3, it says, 
Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut. It shall not be open, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. You see what I'm saying? And so therefore it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall not enter by the way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out by the way. And he's talking about the prince, the Messiah, will be the one that comes through the east gate. In Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 5, it says, And the Lord said to me, The Son of Man, mark your eyes, mark well, see your eyes, and hear with your ears all that I shall tell you concerning all the statues of the temple of the Lord and all its laws, and mark well the entrance to the temple and all the exits from the sanctuary. He's going to enter through that east gate. Just, you know, something to think about. And then verse, uh, let's look at verse 31, uh, verse 32, and it says, And between the upper chamber and the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmith and the merchants repaired. And so remember I told you we were going to start with the sheep gate, and we're going to finish with the sheep gate. Judgment is going to come. Uh, this is something that people don't want to believe, uh, that they struggle with, but J Jesus Christ is going to uh, judge. And, and there's two judgments. You either have uh, the Bema Seat judgment, which is for followers, which is for believers. Right, So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you face the Bema Seat judgment, and that's to judge your works. Right, and that'll be put through the fire, and what's left, you know, that's the imperishable uh, that you receive, right? The reward that you receive. Now, if you received all your glory here on earth, and that's that's it, <laughs> it's going to go through the fire. There may not be nothing left, but you're in heaven, you know. But here's the thing: like the other judgment is the great white throne judgment. So when we talk about the sheep gate, one of the things I want to make sure we understand is that we started with the sheep gate, we ended with the sheep gate. Revelation 22 verses 12 through 13 says this very clearly. It says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my re, uh, recomp uh, recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We start with the sheep gate, we finish with the sheep gate. And when we talk about that great white throne of judgment, he's actually talking about Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. You know, the, the judgment, this is the judgment that happens when you choose not to follow Jesus Christ here on earth. That's, that means you stay in that ship that's sinking and you just go down. Because you think my good will outweigh my bad or... You're, you're, you know, uh, there are many roads to heaven. Uh, oh, whatever it is that you're thinking, oh, there's reincarnation. Whatever it is that you think, there's only one way. It's Jesus Christ. And we see that in Revelation 20. It says in verse 11, that I saw a great right throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. So this means that you will die. But if you choose not to follow Jesus Christ, there's a second death. Okay? Just make sure we, we understand that. Because I don't want you to walk away from this going, I, well, I, I think I still have a chance for my good to outweigh my bad. That's not going to happen. 
But it says, Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And so he's talking about the great white throne of judgment. Now, according to whether they are, have accepted Christ as their Savior, if their name is not written in the book of life, you're going to be judged, and your judgment is based upon sin. So uh, that's why when we look at, you know, what is the, the, the uh, penalty of sin? Death. He, he was very clear in that. The penalty of sin is death. That's why he starts off with his ministry saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's why Paul, repent. Peter, repent. John the Baptist, repent. We have to repent. There's no other way but Jesus Christ. You will be judged for the penalty of your sin. Verse 13, and it says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in the uh, the death and uh uh, were in it death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they have done then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire see that goes again the valley of Hinnom the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire and Jesus is going to judge he, he's perfect he's holy he's trustworthy He's my Savior, and I put my faith in Him. But I have to repent because I'm a sinner. And so we start with the sheep gate. We finish with the sheep gate. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. A couple quick notes here. Nehemiah was accountable. And, and one of the things that I loved about Nehemiah is Nehemiah never tried to take credit for what was done. Nehemiah never tried to say, well, it's because of our Xerxes or it's because of all these people. You know what Nehemiah said in verse 16, uh, verse chapter 6, verse 16? He gives credit to God. Our, and that's a, an example for us. The work that we do for the Lord, that credit belongs to God, not us. Okay? Not us. Nehemiah 6, verse 16 says, And when all your enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Can you imagine if we actually did the things that we were called to do by God in the church and in the communities that we're in and the cities that we're in, if we actually saw a revival, a, a, a work of the Lord that's being done, and you know what happens? The enemies hear about it. They're afraid. They're afraid. It's just something for us to think about. They fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived yet that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You see that? That's, that's what happens when you see a church that impacts the community, impacts the city. It's because you know that that is God at work. They knew that it was being accomplished by God. People fear that. And so for right now, what we need to be doing is, is doing the work of the Lord. Together. Together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, be, steadfast, be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
when I read that verse, one of the things I think about for application is like, look at the work that was done on the wall. Like, what type of worker are you? If we were to go talk to your boss, and, and we know you're a follower of Christ, and we say, well, how, what kind of worker is he? Would we get a good or a bad report? Would they be like, man, that guy takes three-hour lunches. He's always cheating time. You know? And you're, you're supposed to be a follower of Christ. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. A couple things. We, we see God is the one behind and empowering us through the Spirit. We see the work of the Lord being done on the wall, which is amazing. Amazing work that was done in 52 days. 52 days. And so, for us, application. Is, is there a place, is there some things that, are, that need to be thrown in the dung gate that need to be burned up? Is there a sin or there's something going on in your life that needs to be thrown into the fire? You need to get rid of it. Whether it's pornography, whether it's unforgiveness, you know, whatever it is. Maybe it's hate. Maybe you're, you're so angry at your brother, you have hate in your heart. It needs to be thrown into the fire. You know, I think about the sheep gate and I wonder, do you know the voice of Jesus? And what I mean by that is, like it says, the shepherd, the sheep know my voice, right? How do you learn to know the voice of the Lord? It's being connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that fountain gate, that, uh, that water gate and that fountain gate. You need to be connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you, how do you stay in uh, knowing the shepherd's voice? You're, you're in his word. You're, you're building that relationship with God by being in His Word, uh, trying to apply a, a truth each day in your life, and at the same time, you're, uh, you're simply uh, in prayer um, and, and, and praying, uh, spending time in prayer with Him. As, at the same time, you know, being at the feet of Jesus, being in fellowship, being at church is an important thing. I think we've, we've gotten away from that. And so, you know, that's one thing I, I would just ask you, you know, and if there is something that needs to be rebuilt, because this is what happens in, in these verses, you know, there's going to be this revival that happens and everybody begins, begins to rise. Uh, God does a revival. He revives them and then they rise. And then what do they do? They repair and they rebuild. And God can do that in your life too. God can do that in your life too. And that's where we're going to close out tonight. I'm going to go ahead and close out in prayer. I want to thank you all so much for spending time with me as we went through the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. Next week we'll be in chapter 4 on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And then on Sunday at 10 a.m. we're going to be in the book of Mark. We're actually going to finish Mark chapter 1 verses 4 through 8. And so hopefully you'll join us for that. So let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Um, Father God, we thank you so much for uh, this evening. We do pray if there's anything, uh, maybe there's a revival that needs to happen with us. Because a revival that happens begins with us, the person in the mirror. And I pray that if there's some area that needs to be revived, I pray that you would do that. And then once we revive, maybe we need to repent. Maybe there's some things in our lives uh, that needs to go out into the dung gate and be burned up. 
And Lord, I, I, I pray, you know, one of the things we're going to learn about this week is, is just the humility that John had. And I know that's an area that I need work in. And so I pray for that. Um, you know, don't let me be prideful. And it's so easy to do nowadays. You know, it's so easy to be prideful. Uh, and then the next thing we see is as we are revived and we repent, we rise up, Lord. Help us get back up on our feet. You say that when we, when we confess our sins, you, you cast them as far as from the east to the west. They're done. And so I pray, Lord, that, uh, that we can move past the sin and, and, and rise up and, and begin to rebuild those areas of the walls that need to be built in our lives. Help us rebuild them. If it's a relationship, help us rebuild that relationship. If it's our marriage, help us rebuild our marriage. If it's a relationship with one of our kids, maybe there's a disconnect that's been happening and they're off and you're just there's just no communication. Help, help that happen. Help us rebuild that. And we pray for divine. Help us see the, the, the city of divine be revived and rise up. And when we talk about rise up, we're talking about rising up in the Lord uh, and, and see uh, just things that need to be uh, repaired and rebuilt. Do that in the city of divine. We thank you so much for today, and we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, if you need to get a hold of me at all, you can do that at calvarydivine.org if you need prayer. All you do is go to the website at calvarydivine.org, go to the connect button, and there is a prayer request button. Just click that, and you can uh, we'll, we'll pray over you or pray over the situation, whatever it is that you need prayer for. And so we just ask if you need prayer, please don't hesitate to send in a prayer request. And at the same time, if you need to get a hold of me uh, or my wife, Teresa, you can definitely do that at the website at calvarydivine.org. Uh, God bless y'all. Hope to see you on Sunday at 10 a.m. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.